0: Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to, again, the Gathering of Reach Life Church. If, if I don't know you, if I haven't met yet, my name's Terry. Uh, catch me afterward, I, I, I would love to to meet you. Um, for those of you who are joining us this morning online, you're welcome as well. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, we're going to be in the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 13, and we'll get there in just a little bit. Um, and if the Bible's new for you, we've got a mixed group. If the Bible's new for you, that's the second book in. you got Genesis, then Exodus. Uh, if you're here today, man, and you're not a follower of Jesus, we're glad you're here. Welcome. You're going to get to hear uh, sort of the inside scoop on what it's like to walk through difficult times as a follower of Jesus and how we navigate those types of things. And so, man, hopefully that'll be uh, that'll be some good insight for you because we all have difficult times, do we not? Right? We all we all do. Um, the difference is how we're able to navigate those. So I've got a, a question for you as as we begin, just to get our minds thinking along the right uh, the right wavelength here. Have you ever walked into a room? and realize you don't know why you're there? Like you get up to go get something, and by the time you get into the room where that thing is, you don't remember that thing anymore, right? Thank you, Nancy. Yeah, me too, me too, right? Uh, I do it all the time. I did it prior to brain injury. It's even worse. It's even worse now. Um, we, we've all, I think it's because we have too many windows open on the the screen, computer screen of our minds, right? We have too much going on. And so we, we, we find ourselves standing alone in a room staring but right, for whatever reason. I think we've all experienced that. Or maybe you've experienced another kind of, of forgetfulness. Maybe in the midst of an argument with someone that you really care about. Kind of in the heat of the battle, you forget the great things about that person. Maybe you forget great times that you've you've had together. And so again, in the in the heat of things, in the midst of this the the turmoil between the two of you, maybe you say something or do something that you're going to regret later. And it's, it's because you've forgotten. You've forgotten some things about that person and your relationship with them. We've all experienced that as well, have we not? Probably been on both ends of, of that thing. Or maybe you've experienced yet another kind of forgetfulness. Maybe there's been a deep time in your life where, man, it's a real struggle. You're really confused or really stressed out. And during that time, not knowing what to do in your your current situation, not knowing how to manage it. Maybe you feel feel, uh, really dry spiritually. You feel like God's a thousand miles away. You feel like maybe there's no sign of his presence, let alone his love for you, and you've forgotten some things about God. Maybe you've forgotten what God means to you or, or who Jesus is to you or what God has done for you. And so in the midst of that turmoil, you kind of lose sight of God and you find yourself really in despair. And I'm here to tell you, we've all experienced that. And if you haven't, reality check, you will. You will experience that sort of time. Um, and it's when, in, that, in those cases, when we forget what God has done for us in the past, that we lose navigation in the present, Right? that we then forget who God is, and then we find ourselves in despair. Do you see the progression? We forget what God has done. That makes us forget who God is, and we end up in in despair. That's how it goes. Um, So today, as we continue in our journey in the book of Exodus, we're going to find ourselves in a piece of Scripture where hopefully it can provide some uh, just reminders. Nothing profound here today, but it will be profound if we apply it. And uh, just some reminders on how to navigate those things. I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. He says that the reason this record, this historical account of these events are, are in the Bible for us is for our good. It says, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Man, so in our time of confusion, uh, he says, it's upon us the end of the ages has come. And, and it sure looks like it. If we look around in the world, man, there's sociopolitical tension everywhere. There's interpersonal tension between us. There's tension inside us. Sometimes we don't agree with ourselves. We don't feel comfortable in our own skin. Well, um, our spiritual ancestors, the people of Israel here, Learn to remember what God has done. And that's what I've titled the time of our time together today. That is, remember what God has done. So today, I don't want us to simply look at this as like, man, these are neat historical facts. These are interesting accounts of people on the other side of the world that happened thousands of years ago. Um, or even how God acted among those people on the other side of the world thousands of years ago. I want us to look at this for exactly what it is. It is those things, but what we're reading today is also the Word of God to us. Right? This is God's perfect, inspired, holy Word. It's profitable not just for them, it's profitable for our growth, for our strength, for our navigation during this time for our steadfastness in Christ Jesus. So let's pick up in Exodus 13, and because this is God's holy word to us, can I ask those who are able, can you stand and let's, uh, let's read from the word of God together today. We'll be in, again, Exodus chapter 13. And we'll be reading verses 1 through 16. I'll, I'll, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. You can follow along in your copy of the word of God. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn." Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today, in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey. You shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days, no leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leavened bread shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, It is because of what the Lord did for me, When I came out of Egypt, it shall be to you a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law, excuse me, of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute as it is at, at its appointed time from year to year. Verse 11. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and Shall give it to you, you shall eat, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of a man among your sons shall you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, What does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb. But all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. We'll stop there. You can be seated. Thank you. You know, in a lot of ways, what we're reading here today in, in the passage is, if you were here um, with us last week, this is kind of a part two. Right? This is a follow-up to what took place with the Passover. And so the message will very much be a part two to what uh, Pastor James went through last week. Um, this Last week, we saw the institution of the Passover meals as a ritual that the Lord had His people observe to remember that He passed over them and gave them grace and mercy. And this week, we're seeing two more rituals that the Lord is putting place, the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Consecration or Redemption of the Firstborn. Now, at first glance, that may seem weird. Why why link these two things together? The Feast of Not Eating Bread with Yeast in it, the Unleavened Bread, and the Consecration of the Firstborn. Um, That may seem really weird, but really these two topics are closely related, and we're going to see why. Both of them uh, had application in the spring of the year, and that was the time, the season, when the Lord uh, had the Israelites leave Egypt in haste, remember, back in chapter 12. Spring was also the time when domesticated animals uh, have birth season, right, to get their birthing season, especially uh, sheep and goats, which was like the Israelite um, specialty way back beginning in Genesis 30 with, uh, with uh, Jacob himself, who was named Israel. So both the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the consecration or redemption of the firstborn had to do with them settling into the land that God was about to give them, um, and they thought it was going to be in just a matter of months. I mean, here it is. God told Moses he's going to make Pharaoh, let the people go, Pharaoh has said, get out of here, please leave, right? The people have been let go. We're entering the promised land right now. Well, they're thinking of their immediate future, right? Well, we on this side of history, if you're familiar with your Bible, know it's not gonna be right now. It's gonna be 40 years between then and now. And as we've uh, subtitled this series we've been going through in Exodus, already, not yet, already yet. Not yet. We've seen that the Israelites here have already been released by Pharaoh. They can go free. but they're not yet in the promised land, are they? God has guaranteed them this land. He has promised it already, but they are not they will not be entering it quite yet. Now of course, this is due to their own rebellion. We're going to learn later, but that rebellion is of no surprise to God. God knew about that before He created the Earth. And so here it is in our text. He's not only preparing that land for them, we can read that in other parts of Scripture, but He's also preparing them for that land. God is working in their hearts, and He's equipping them even to wait well. He's equipping them to wait well. And just a little note here the same is true for us as followers of Jesus. It's very true. In the, in the most, most true sense of the word, Jesus is our rest. Jesus is our rest from striving and try to be righteous on our own. Jesus is our rest from the penalty of our sin, right? Jesus is our rest. And it's a, a future fact that he will take us to be with him forever in the new heaven and new earth. That's, that's a future fact. It's a promise. But notice it's a fact, but it's a fact of the future. He's already promised it. He's already accomplished it. But we're not there yet, are we? Is this heaven? No, it is not. Right, we're not we are not there yet. So in the meantime, although he has purchased and guaranteed our eternal existence, even physical presence with him forever, we are not there. We have not we're not inhabiting the land that he's promised us, right? And so what do we do? What do we do while we wait? How do we get through till then? Well, like we're going to see with the Israelites, we should remember what God has done. We should remember it. So we find uh, peace for our present, hope for our future Uh, by looking back on what God's done because God who did those things is still God. He's still the same, and we can look back on those things. So as we work our way at our jobs, man, as we get stressed on our jobs, as we uh, stress out about school assignments or relationship struggles or health concerns or, again, social-political tensions, economic struggles, Things like that in this fallen world that we live in, what in the world are we to do? We remember what God has done, and again, when we remember what God has done, we remember who God is. Um, And uh, what we know to be true about God, man, should really help us navigate and have some moorings, uh, guardrails, as it were, in this world that we live in. That's where hope is found. That's where joy is found. Now, that's the key takeaway from our text today. So I've given you my conclusion. Right? That's where we're headed. And so, what I want to do now is take time to put in place some, some uh, things to help firm that up and, and seed it a little more um, firmly, strongly in your soul, in my soul as well, this morning. Uh, you may have noticed in the passage there's some repetition. It almost seemed like we read the same thing twice. It was because we did as we, as we went through there. And that's a teaching tool. Uh, repetition is a great way to learn something. We all we all know this. And so he's telling the the people, teach this to your your sons, pass this down generation to generation. First of all, you need to remember what the Lord has done, and then you teach the next generation what the Lord has done. This is a teaching tool. So what I'm going to do, I'm not going to repeat everything. We're going to hold verse one and two until we get to the end and talk about the close of the chapter. We're going to start with verse three. Okay. And our, I'm just going to walk through the text this morning, as I said earlier. Um, He's given like more, in the Feast of Unleavened Bread was talked about previously. He's given more instruction here, and he's directly linked it to the Passover itself. Look at verses 3 through 10 again there. And the thing, if you're taking notes, and which I always encourage, again, because we forget things, that's good to write that down. Um, the thing we're going to see here is that our act of worship is a remembrance of our redemption. I want you look at a few things here in verse 3. It says, notice the word, it says, remember this day when you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. So in this sense, it's saying remember. It's, it's, like, um, it's like in the fourth of the Ten Commandments, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's not just saying, oh yeah, that thing happened. right? It's, it's remember, like focus on. Let this thing click in your soul, it's saying, right? Draw it to mind so that it has an impact on your life. This is not just a mental exercise. It's, it's supposed to actually kind of control our lives at a, at a foundational level. And then see, it says, remember the day uh, when you went out of Egypt from the house of slavery. Now, this is a really graphic thing in the mind of the Israelites because what the Egyptians would do at the time is there was a a literal large house with a walled slave city where they would house all the slaves. And this became a metaphor to the Israelites of the whole land of Egypt. Egypt was the house of slavery. And so it's a reminder of their experience of bondage and of oppression. So quite literally, they were brought out of the house of slavery. And see again how the power of God is emphasized in in verse 3 there. How was it that they were brought out of the land of Egypt? By a strong hand, the Lord brought you out of this place. And that's going to be repeated as we go through the the, uh, rest of the chapter here. But remember, God had told Moses that very thing. Remember, God says, I know Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh's not going to let you go unless he's acted upon by a strong hand, by me, says the Lord, right? And that's exactly what God did. God brought people out by a mighty hand. Hand. So the point is, a take home from that is that God will do what it takes. God will do what it takes to deliver His people. And it is God who does the delivering, right? God is the deliverer, and He will do what it takes. Uh, and remember in the passage, they were to be on watch. Remember that from last week, they were to be on watch. They didn't know when the Lord was going to deliver but he's going to deliver. But they should be so ready that they shouldn't even put yeast in the bread because it may not have time to rise, right? That's the deal with unleavened bread. They're supposed to remember, be ready. The Lord will deliver you and he's going to deliver you by a mighty hand. And and, and indeed he did, right? The Lord is good for his word. He keeps his promises. Uh, He powerfully and swiftly delivered his people. We'll look at verse four. It says also that this feast is directly associated with the date of the Exodus. The Exodus uh, was to take place, or um, the Exodus took place in the month of Abib. Later in the New Testament, that's called the month of Nassan. After they went into Babylonian captivity, they could kind of changed the name of it. This is the month of Abib here. It's the first month in the Israelite calendar. And for us, it's like March-April uh, March, area, right? This is springtime. Again, specifically for the Israelites, this is the time of the barley harvest. I told you that was gonna, that's, that's going to come back into play, and it, it will, I'll, and I'll get there. Um, but look at verse 5. It says, The Feast of Unleavened Bread is to take place when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, which He swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey. You shall keep this service in this month. So this is echoing what the Lord told Abraham way back in Genesis 15. I will provide a land for you. The people of God's covenant, God's chosen people, have a chosen piece of land. land. God chose a people, God chose a land for them to be put into uh, for the later the birth of the Messiah to come through. And here the Lord's reminding them of that fact. I'm going to give you a land. I told that to Abraham. I'm setting you free now. Remember, I'm good for my word. All right? This is what the Lord is telling them. So the list of people groups here is important. The Canaanites, the Hittites, and and those people. This is important. Notice there are five groups of people. How many groups of people are the Israelites? One. They got one group of people going in to conquer the land that belongs to five groups of people. The odds aren't great, are they, right? Well, these are also more numerous people. They're more powerful people. They're more wicked people. They're more warlike people than the Israelites. It's not looking good, but they're no match for God, right? From like Israelite view, oh my goodness, we're going to die. And you're going to see that later in the, in the Old Testament. That's what they say. We're going to die. These people are going to kill us. And without Yahweh God having this as his plan and those as his people, they're right. Well, Yahweh is God, right? And they are his people. And so those uh, people groups there are no match from God. He's bringing the Israelites out of slavery. He will give them the land. And again, I I think we can see some parallel in our own lives um, because the Lord is still the Lord. And if we are in Jesus, in other words, if we have placed our lives in the hands of Jesus, trusting him alone for our salvation, then we are God's people. Same God. We can still be his people. So we can know that God, being God, can make a way when there seems to be no way in our lives. Do you understand that? God, I've heard a song on the radio on the way over here. Impossible has never been a problem for God. Never. What does that even mean to God? Nothing is is impossible. You may be tired of hearing this other song on the Christian radio station, but he really is a way maker. A miracle worker, light in the darkness. He is. That, that, in fact, that's who he is. That's what he does. He is, as we just sang in, in Hebrew, Yahweh Jirah. He's my provider, right? He provides. He provides. Well, let's look at verse 7. It says, unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leavened bread shall be seen with you in all your territory. This seems a little weird to me, quite honestly. Is the Lord anti-yeast? Does the Lord hate crescent rolls or croissants? Kelly says, thank God, no. No, he does not, right? My little, well, never mind. My little wife who weighs nothing eats more croissants than you guys could ever imagine. Um, So no, the Lord thankfully is not anti-croissant, right? Like this is not what the Lord is talking about. But remember, uh, Pastor James talked about how um, the Lord wasn't only getting the Israelites out of Egypt. The Lord wants to get Egypt out of the Israelites. right? so So on one hand, this uh, this leaven situation is about don't give it time to rise because you've got to wait on the Lord be ready. But also, as we read in other parts of the Old Testament, leaven is often symbolic of sin. And in this case, um, in this instance, most commentators agree, that it's a reference to the sin of the Egyptians having become also the sins of the Israelites. They were affected by the culture that they were in. They took on the sinful practices of the Israelites. And so the, what the Lord is doing here is in establishing a precedent around, with, among, and inside His people that you are chosen and you are to be holy. You're to be sanctified. You're set apart. You're a holy people. You're not only to not consume sin, take it in you like you would leaven, but he says he doesn't even want it near them nor even anywhere in their whole territory. Not, not among you. Get it out from the camp, the Lord says. So to be a chosen of, of God literally means set apart. Set apart. That's what the word sanctified means. It's sacred Um, And so let me just make an application for us here. Um, The Lord does not call us to himself for us to be just like everyone else. The Lord does not call us to himself for us, for the sins of Egypt to become the sins of Israel, for the sins of the culture to become the sins of his people. The Lord calls us to be separate. That's what it means to be sacred. He's our creator, yes, but he's also become our redeemer, our rescuer. Um, We have been redeemed. Did you know that um, if you're in Christ Jesus, you are God's special possession? He cherishes you. He looks after you. He does not want you to be contaminated. Do you know that if they're in Christ Jesus, your brother or sister in Christ is also God's special possession? And we love what God loves and so when we see our brother and sister in Christ, not only do we not want ourselves to be contaminated, but we want to help them not be contaminated also. And let me just encourage you to reach life. Pastor James and I talk about this a lot. Many of you are doing great at helping one another walk with the Lord well. Man, to helping one another to overcome sin, helping one another to walk in a victorious way like, you know what? Um, I still I still make bad decisions, I still sin, but they're not as they're they're way farther apart than they used to be. <laughs> or you know, or I'm not drowning in these things anymore. I'm giving progressive being given progressive victory by the spirit of God in my life. We're seeing that, right? That's encouraging to me. Like our lives really can change. Like truly, those whom the sun sets free are free indeed. Right? And we can grow and that's, that's actually great news. I don't know if you guys realize, it's great news for me. I'm a work in progress. Um, and so that's, this is great news for me. And so I just want to encourage you, those of you who are walking with one another that way, man, praise God. That's beautiful. Uh, that's beautiful. Well, it says then in verse 8, the real kind of bedrock of what I want us to be reminded of today. It instructs uh, like how to tell the children why they do this thing with unleavened bread. It says, you shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. If you're somebody who writes in your Bible, you may want to underline that word me. Because here's the thing, this this wasn't um, just meant for one father to tell one son and that's it. This is supposed to be a perpetual generation thing. It's passed down from generation to generation. So you're going to get generations who were not in Egypt, literally. But yet they'll be teaching their children, this is what the Lord did for me when I was in Egypt. What the Lord did for me. This is a personal thing. When the Lord delivered my ancestors out of Egyptian slavery, He was delivering me. Right? This, is, this is part of my history. is so they will never forget. And let, let me remind you, this continues right up until us today. You may have caught something I said earlier, our spiritual ancestors, the Israelites. It's because they are. Um, you know, uh, the reason that we, Reach Life Church, are studying the book of Exodus, and really reason, any reason, or the reason that we study any part of the Bible, is so that we can remember what the Lord has done. And we want to remember what the Lord has done so that we can remember who the Lord is, right? Um, So when we lose sight of who God is in our lives, we feel like He's so far away. Maybe like He's forgotten us. Remember. Remind one another what the Lord has done. And stop and think about this for a minute, again, with the, the spiritual ancestors thing. Uh, if you're a child of God by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, then you are spiritually descended from those faithful believers, those faithful followers of Yahweh here in the Old Testament. Those are your spiritual ancestors. Uh, the same Yahweh God who delivered them is the same Yahweh God who delivered you from your sins. Isn't He the same God? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever? Um, so what we're reading today in a very real sense, and in the true sense, is the account of our ancestors. So get a hold of that, man, deep in your heart. This, his, these historical events in a very real, real way happen as part of your history. This is the history of the people of God. If you're in Jesus, you are the people of God. This is our spiritual history. So remember who he is, and when we remember who he is, we remember whose we are we remember who we belong to. If you put your faith in Jesus, this is who you belong to, the Lord. This is your identity. You are His. So the remembrance of unleavened bread uh, is to kind of, it's not just about the meal. It's about permeating everything that we do. It's supposed to kind of be um, at the bottom of our our lives, informing everything else. It's... um, it's, it's including the way we view ourselves, the way we view one another, the way that we view the world around us. Um, so we should remember how we've been redeemed. So take a look at uh, verse 9. We'll continue again. We're just going to walk through today. Uh, verse 9. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You know the uh, Second Temple uh, Jewish period, the time between our Old and New Testaments, found uh, that these the people would literally do this. They would literally put scriptures uh, dangling but in front of their eyes, and they would wear them on their left hand. And uh, that's not specifically what's commanded here, and uh, it's not it's not a commandment really. It's it's the point is that you should keep these scriptures so focused in your mind that they're constantly, it's like they're before your eyes. So anything that you look at, you're looking through those scriptures at that thing, right? You can't get away from it. It's constantly in front of you. It's constantly what you see first in life. Whatever you do with your hands, you see that scripture first, right? It's bound upon you. It's in your heart. It's in your mind. It's in your soul. It permeates the way that you live. It's a comprehensive thing, and it's supposed to impact Everything, especially guiding us, navigating through this world while we wait, while we're in the already, but the not yet. So, the first part of the passage was about remembering what God did, right? The second part here that we're going to get to with the consecration and redemption of the firstborn is about remembering that God owns everything. Everything belongs to God. Did you guys know that? We should remember what God did, we should also remember that God owns everything. We're going to deal more briefly with this section because we've dealt with it uh, a lot last week, but I want to just pick out a few things. You look at verses 1 and 2. The Lord said, remember, we're going to pair this with the end of, of it because it addresses the same thing. Verses 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever's the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and of beast, is mine. That word consecrate literally means set apart. In the context here, it means consider this thing belongs to the Lord. How do we know that that's what it means? Because that's what the Lord says. Look at the end of verse 2. It is mine, the Lord says, right? This belongs to me. All the firstborn males of the beast, all the firstborn sons, consider them as belonging to the Lord. Now, why would the Lord make such a bold statement? Mine, right? Right? Well, you don't like it when little babies say that. Mine, 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 mine. It's because it's not theirs, usually. Everything they see, they think is theirs. But the Lord says, mine. And he's right, isn't he? And he's right. The Lord owns it. Um, And I told you that this whole thing with the uh, barley uh, harvest would come back into play It's important because it coincides with the time of the year, again, where the animals have their birthing season. And we all know that the Egyptians and lots of other uh, pagan cultures in general attribute the bounty of the season, barley and harvest and new lambs running around and uh, kid goats and that sort of thing, they attribute that to false gods or the earth itself Or the Nile River, which was considered divine by many. Well, again, Yahweh, the real God who's actually there, is asserting his authority and his ownership over everything. He is the bounty giver, right? The the Israelites are supposed to affirm it through this ritual that all the earth belongs to the Lord, right? The actual creator of the universe. This is why so many Hebrew prayers even up until today, so many Jewish prayers begin with the phrase blessed are you Adonai our God ruler of the universe. Right? This is what God is asserting in our passage. He's asserting and having the Israelites assert that the bounty of spring is not ultimately from a pagan fertility god, nor from the earth, nor from in our context mother nature. No. The new life in spring is from the creator of the earth, the designer of nature. The new life from spring is the giver of life himself giving those things. The author of life is the giver of life in the spring. And that's what God's saying, no, that doesn't belong to any other. You don't sacrifice that to any other God, and it's not yours. It's mine, says the Lord. This is symbolically the Lord showing his ownership. And so again, let's just pause and make application for ourselves. We'll be upon Thanksgiving in about two and a half weeks, right? Uh, so in our culture, maybe in our own hearts, man, we find ourselves thankful, and we should. It's great. It's actually wonderful to have a heart of gratitude and be thankful for things, and we're rightfully thankful for our lives and our health and our provisions and thankful for lots of things. But the question is, not only um, are you thankful for fill in the blank? Who are you thankful to? That's the question. It's not good enough just to be thankful for, we must also be thankful to, right? Um, Are you thankful to the universe? Are you thankful to yourself that you had the right words and thoughts to put out into the universe so that the universe would bring those things back to you? Are you thankful that you were born in the right horoscope, maybe, so that you literally thank your lucky stars? God is saying, do not be deceived. God is saying he alone is your ultimate source of blessing. Right? Uh, these, These pagan forms of deities, even if it's unintentional, are not the rulers of your lives. God is telling his people. Do not look to created things such as the universe or stars or even yourself and your hard work as the source of your blessings. Let me ask you a question. Who gave you the capacity to work hard? Who gave you life to begin with? Who, who gives us minds to think and invest well and in? who, who does that? The Lord. Man, let's give our thanks to the Lord then. Everything belongs to Him. He's the one from whom all blessings flow, as the doxology says, right? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all ye creatures, that's us, here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Right? So, and as many Bible scholars also think, God could have been asserting that He has the right to grant authority and status. Again, ancient cultures saw the firstborn as being intrinsically valuable and having authority and status. And we know elsewhere that uh, Moses has emphasized in the the Scriptures here that God can choose whoever He wants. It's not necessarily the firstborn. God chose uh, way back in Genesis. God didn't choose to use the firstborn Esau. He chose to use Jacob. He chose not to use Ishmael. Instead, He chose to use Isaac. The point is God will choose whom God will choose, right? Uh, only God grants true status. Only God grants true authority. So again, when you look at your life, man, I've achieved certain amount of things. X, Y, Z, I'm so grateful. Who are you grateful to? There is no such thing as a self-made man or woman. There's not. We are merely turtles sitting on a fence post. We didn't get there by ourselves, right? That's one thing we can know, right? We did not get there by ourselves. Somebody put us there. Last thing uh, this passage makes clear is that children aren't to be sacrificed. It says that the firstborn males are to be devoted to the Lord, and they must be redeemed. Now you say, who in the world would have thought of sacrificing a child? Why would God put that in here? Well, lots of people in Canaan, where they were going, thought about that thing, right? They had this whole thing where uh, the Canaanites practiced Moloch worship, where their firstborn male child was burned alive to sacrifice to Molech in order to ensure further future fruitfulness. And so he's saying, no, nope, people of God are not to sacrifice their children for any reason, including the hope of future prosperity. And so here it's being made really clear uh, that these things aren't to be done in Israel. Like the sins of Egypt are not to be done the sins of, uh, by uh, the Israelites, the people of God. The things don't really belong to you ultimately, they belong to the Lord. Things aren't given to you from uh, anywhere else. Your blessings come from the Lord. Praise God for, for from whom all blessings flow. So today, let's remember what God has done. And when we remember what God has done, we remember who God is. Let me just give you some real two quick, easy ways to remember what God has done. Write them down. Just write them down. If you're someone who finds yourself at several stages in life, you know what? I lose sight of God. Man, I find myself like overly worrisome. I'm I'm a glass half empty guy. I don't mind uh, confessing that. I'll let you know. But what I can do is I can recount what God has done. And I know that God's the same even if I feel differently. God's the same even if my circumstance looks differently. So write them down. Journaling might be a great thing for you. Also, share what God has done for you with other people. There's something about opening our mouths and say, let me tell you something. Let me tell you what God did for me this week. It could be a little tiny little thing. He woke me up, right? Uh, I've read somewhere that somebody said, um, he, there was lots of flowery language, but essentially what they said is, God does things every single day that we kind of get numb to, that if he didn't, and he just did it once, we would be in awe of the miracle, like a sunrise, What if you had never seen one and then boom, there's a sunrise? Like, Whoa, it's a miracle. God does it every day. God does it every day. And when we recount those things to one another, maybe when we get to faltering, we get to wondering where God is. Does he really love me? Can he really rescue me? They can remind you of what you told them God did in your life before, right? And they can share from their own lives, right? So let's remember who God is by remembering what God has done, and then that way we don't end up in despair.